All right, we're back on uh, the priesthood of every believer. And we've been saying and proving that this teaching is the whole groundwork, is one of the most important doctrines of the Reformation. And Christians of the 21st century need to know about the priesthood of every believer just as badly as they needed to know it in the 16th century. And why is this important? Well, I've already been through the first six functions of priests. If you remember, I'll set the stage again. The Bohemians had written a letter to Luther asking what to do because they were... uh, leaving the Roman Catholic Church, but only the Roman Catholic Church could provide priests. And so their dilemma was, the priest does everything. The priest is between us and God. The priest makes the church. So what are we going to do if Rome won't give us any priests? And the answer was the priesthood of every believer. The Roman priesthood, according to Luther, was illegitimate. They were usurpers. They weren't legitimate priests at all. And they weren't doing the seven things the priests are to do. So to get you back up to speed, Luther said, I'm on slide two, priests are not made but born. How are they born? By water and the spirit. John 3. So to be a priest to God, you must be born again. And then he proves from the scripture that we are Christ's brothers. And he is the high priest, and we are priests. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood. And it says in Revelation 1, 6, this is all review, he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God. I don't think anybody could deny that the New Testament teaches the priesthood of every believer. But the dilemma is that people really want some holy man to tell them what to do. They just long for that. No, no, this is too hard. Give us some shaman, witch doctor, deliverance counselor. Somebody's going to go between us and God and figure this out for us. It's too big of a responsibility, they think, for us. But the Bible does not say that. It's not too big of a responsibility. We are equipped by God to be priests to God. And the high priest in heaven, Jesus, makes, ever lives to make intercession for us. And then he goes through these functions. The first is preaching the word of God. I think we can prove that the priesthood of every believer means that we preach the gospel. Every last Christian can share the truth of the gospel, and teach the Bible. Every Christian is given access 
to the Lord's Supper, where he said, do this in remembrance of me. So that's for all Christians. And he talks about the assembly, where each one has a psalm, a teaching, and so forth. Let everything be done for edification. Every Christian can baptize. Every Christian can have access to the Lord's table. Every Christian can bind and loose. What is binding and loosing? Declaring what's forbidden or permitted. So as we go into the Word of God and are trained and taught, we know what God permits and what God forbids. And so we talked about this earlier. The keys are the terms of entrance into the kingdom. Binding and loosing are declaring what's allowed and what's not allowed within the church. This is the realm of every Christian. More on binding and loosing. The offering of sacrifices. We've already covered this, but the main sacrifice is we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That includes... The sacrifice of praise. We saw that in Hebrews 13, 15. That we offer up the fruit of the lips, the sacrifice of praise to our God. So you don't need some holy man. You don't need some professional priest to go do these things to be acceptable to God. They're the domain of every Christian. Normally I watch the news in the morning while I'm getting ready, I couldn't even watch this morning. I was so disgusted. All I could do is talk about this Pope. The Pope is nobody. He's a sinner. He doesn't speak for God. He wants to teach global warming. That's a lie. He wants to teach socialism. That's air. This man doesn't preach the gospel. He doesn't speak for God. And I refuse to listen to him. And the Pope needs to repent. I've heard enough socialism from liberal politicians to not want to have to hear it from the Pope. Bring the mic to Dan. He's got to go. Well, no, Bob, I was just going to say, I noticed on his agenda, the Pope's agenda next week, or this week, actually, um, that he's got Rick Warren. He's going to be speaking with him. So there's another holy man, you know, America's pastor, supposedly, that's going to be joining forces with, with this Pope. And I, I know he, he shows allegiance to the Pope without actually becoming Catholic as of yet, but um, I just find that interesting. And then, yeah, of course, you go to the checkout counter at the supermarket, and there's the big picture of the Pope on uh, People magazine and sounding his praises. And well, stuff. I think they, you know who they did not invite? John MacArthur. <laughs> He told us the Pope is one of the Antichrists. What about prayer? See, we maybe know enough not to listen to the Pope, but there's this desire for somebody. How can it be that each and every one of us have access to the throne of grace? How come we can know that Jesus is the high priest who paid the penalty for our sins, who cleanses us, who calls us to himself and gives us access to him in prayer. 
Hebrews 4.16. I think that verse is one of the most important verses in the Bible, Hebrews 4.16. We need to know it, and we need to practice it. God will give us help and grace. We don't need some holy man all adorned in some holy garb to do all this for us. We need to go to God in prayer ourselves. Amen. Luther says to pray for others is to go between and make intercession of God, which is befitting Christ only and all his brethren. Those who believe in him are his brethren. Here we are. Now, slide 14, we're up to date. This is the most important function for our spiritual well-being, and that is to judge doctrines. And I'll quote what Luther said. As I've told you before, I'm not a Lutheran, but I do believe in the solas of the Reformation. And on many points, not everyone, Luther was right on, including this one. He says this, quote, the seventh and last function is to judge and pass on doctrines. Clearly, says Luther, it's not without good reason that the mask priests and counterfeit Christians have claimed this office for themselves. For they could foresee that if they allowed all to have this function, they could not monopolize any of the aforementioned privileges. If you could deprive the hearers of this function, what would not a teacher be able and dare to do, even surpassing Satan himself if he could? Now, please get this, understand this. This is for your spiritual well-being right now. This is essential. If it's true that every believer is equipped by God and responsible to decide what doctrines are true, then we cannot be controlled, put in bondage, or manipulated by religious leaders, whether it be the Pope or some, frankly, Protestants have a long history of doing the same thing, setting some man up to be the final arbiter of everything and say, listen, being pleasing to God, knowing what's true, that's a very difficult task. Trust me, I'll do it for you. That's wrong. And I'm going to prove to you how it's wrong and why it's wrong, and we're going to prove it from Scripture. Every one of these doctrines, these seven functions of priests, we're going to prove from Scripture. Because we believe in Scripture alone, not Luther alone. Okay? Now, let's look up some verses. My, my voice is working today, so I'll read some scriptures. Ephesians 4. You want to turn to them, though. You need to know these things. Oh, how important this is. Not a week goes by, but what I get an email from someone who's been abused by a religious leader. They want your allegiance. They want your money. They want your work. But they won't allow you to function as one of the priests of God, the priesthood of every believer. Ephesians 4, 12 through 14. This is the giving of 
the biblical apostles, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, the equipping of the saints who are the saints. Christians. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he wrote to every Christian there. The saints are be, to be equipped. So we do have elders, teachers, but their job isn't to take responsibility alone as if, well, if I'm okay, then it doesn't matter about anybody else. That's not right. The responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The goal is that we won't be tossed about by winds of doctrine. How's that going to happen? Each and every one of us, whether by book, by radio, by audio CDs or podcasts, or by television, by any kind of media, are exposed to every wind of doctrine, as well as the truth. Who is going to decide what you are going to believe? It's going to have to be you. To do that, you have to be able to judge doctrine. Peter. Is that why Rick Warren won't preach Christ? The reason Rick Warren won't preach Christ is that his ministry philosophy says that you erase the distinction between the church and the world so that you can fill the church with the unconverted. And if you preach these sort of things, then only regenerate Christians are going to be qualified to be priests to God. If you preach Christ, the church fills up with regenerate people. The rest won't stick around. If you don't come to faith, you'll get tired of the gospel, right? You'll say, oh, no, 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 and you'll leave. But he doesn't want that to happen. So he always compromises, 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 And then you don't have the church as defined in the New Testament. And if you preached Christ, it would offend all those people. Now, maybe I'll have somebody read. Brian, could you read a passage? 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. And while he's doing that, Eric, be prepared to read from Deuteronomy 13, starting with verse 1. You're the one on the phone told me about that verse to remind, I, which I knew about, but I had forgotten to, to add it to my notes. 
1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Right. So how are you going to know that somebody advocated a different doctrine if you're not able to judge doctrine? You want to think about that? This is addressed to us as Christians. We need to judge doctrine. Otherwise, we won't know what to do. We won't know who to support financially. We won't know who to serve as far as in a local fellowship because we can't tell what's true and what's false. So every Christian needs to be able to judge doctrine. Now, this was even true in the Old Testament when they had prophets. Moses told the people how to judge prophets. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 2, it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says to you, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, then into verse 3 he says, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay. So we hear a lot about signs and wonders. Oh, you're not done, Eric. Go to, now go to Deuteronomy 18.20. All right. Okay, so somebody comes along, and they really do signs and wonders. Most of these are fake. Do you know that? Yeah. Okay, but even if they did, if they don't have the doctrine of who God is correct... We may be deceived. The salient determination isn't whether a sign or wonder happens. It's whether the truth about who God is is preached and taught so we're not going after other gods. And so the God of the Bible, the triune God of the Bible, needs to be taught accurately. Now, here's another test for prophets, Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. It says, this is Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. All right. Now let's get that all straight in our mind. In the Old Testament, they had prophets, but they were to be judged. By who? The people. They had to decide who to listen to. So the guy is going to do this sign and wonder, or predicts the future or whatever. It doesn't happen. Rule them out. The guy does a sign and wonder. It does happen. But he's teaching follow other gods. Rule him out. So what you, what you have left are the true prophets that they had in the Old Testament. Isaiah, 
Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. And those ones ended up in our Bible. Does that make sense? Right, Eric? Amen. So we're always going to have to do that. Luther says Christians must do that. Putting this in historical perspective, this was unheard of. Can you imagine at the time of the Reformation, some ordinary Christian determines that the Pope isn't preaching the gospel and says, I will not listen to you, Mr. Pope. So Luther did. That's what he taught to people. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Well, just an ordinary Christian. I want you to be thinking about something. Yes, bring the mic to Tom. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm preparing already for next Sunday's sermon. I'm almost done with Colossians. We're going to go to 1 John. But uh, after that, how important the final judgment is in our theology. And when we stand before Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, is he going to ask us, did you follow the Pope? No. It's going to be whether we followed Christ and his doctrine, not in some other person. Yes. I was uh, doing some study this week on uh, John Wycliffe, and that's exactly what happened. You know, as far as the... Uh, when you look at uh, Rome and what they were trying to do because the, uh, they were, the, the people couldn't even read the Bible because it was in Latin. So he came in and interpreted it, and, and uh, not interpreted, but he ended up coming in there and putting it in English so the people could actually do that. But it was, the, it was a power struggle, and it's exactly what's going on today. Yeah. It's all power. It's yeah. the power in the, in the Catholic Church and being able to, to come in and do that. And then Tyndale, and they were so mad at Wycliffe, they came up and, and uh, uh, took his bones after he was dead, and then they burned him up. Yeah, they and wish they would have burned him when he was alive. That's exactly right. So, so they waited later, dug him and, up, and, and burned so him. So that's where Luther, a lot of the types of things with Luther, too, was because of Wycliffe. So. Yeah, see, people died so that we could have the Bible. And what a shame if we just abdicate our responsibility, don't know the Bible... And just let some holy man decide everything for us. Whoever that holy man is, I promise you this. He's not going to be there in your stead on the day of judgment. It's going to be us. So we need to know what we're going to believe. Tom. And in addition to that, it just seemed, uh, I don't know, and everybody probably figured this out, but it's just a revelation to me. Either the Bible is what you, what you stand on, or what they're trying to do is, even today, it's a man that they stand on and what he preaches. Either the Bible's going to be true, and it's the inerrancy of Scripture that we stand on, and then we have the, the power of what you're talking about to interpret it ourselves. Yes. And it's just fascinating to me to That's see that. That's why one of the things Luther did, translate the Bible into the people's language, and then taught them how to know it and study it, and then taught the Bible from the pulpit. So the saints will be equipped for the work of the ministry. And by giving this equipment, the ability to think critically, the ability to make valid implications and applications of Scripture, to judge whether they're true or false, gives the Christians 
the necessary equipment and ability to do the job of being a priest to God and to judge doctrine. Let's do this slide 15, and then I'll talk some more about this. This is our last point in this series of lectures. Again, back to Luther, all believers must judge doctrines. Quote, if this is granted, Paul could not only correct Peter, but even pronounce anathema on angels from heaven. Galatians 2.14 and 1.8. Remember Paul said, if even an angel from heaven preaches to you a different gospel than what you received, let him be accursed. My dear brothers and sisters, how are you to know that it's a different gospel unless you know the true one? Then Luther continues, with what fear and trembling bishops and councils would have spoken and issued decrees if the judgment of hearers would have had to be regarded when decisions were made with respect to priesthood, to the office of teaching, of baptizing, of consecrating, of sacrificing, of binding, of, of binding, of prayer, of judging doctrine. Those are the functions. Luther says, indeed, there never would have been a universal papacy if this right of judgment had prevailed. They took good counsel when they monopolized this office. That's irony. What about today? As I said, I really watched the news, but I couldn't leave it on this morning. But when I turned it on, here's they have four young people all Google-eyed, oh, the Pope, the Pope. They were going to go meet the Pope, the Pope, the Pope. Do you think any one of them is going to say, dear Junker Pope, that's what Luther said, you are not preaching the true gospel. We will not listen to you. They won't. Why? Because they're mesmerized. They're hypnotized. They're off in la-la land. They're so impressed by the star power like it's a Hollywood dignitary. Only better. They're not going to make any critical judgment. They're not going to decide, I don't need to listen to this. They're not going to say, no, Jesus Christ died for my sins once for all. The just for the unjust to bring me to God. That's what it says. And I know I can come to God. And I know Jesus loves me. And I know he'll forgive me. I know if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins. and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And no holy man can stand there and say, no, you got to do what I say. Your sin is you drove your car and created global warming. How do you repent of that sin? What nonsense, what foolishness, what lies? Do not listen. Come to Jesus Christ and believe him. Driving your car to church is not a sin. But ignoring the gospel is. Do you see what I'm saying? Am I too harsh for the 21st century? 
I felt so bad for those four young people with a mesmerized look on their face. I wonder, will they ever, ever again listen to Christ in the gospel? Maybe never. Maybe they'll go all the way to hell because they won't listen to Christ in the gospel because they had the Pope instead. It's so bad. What did Paul say? Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. Is this important? Absolutely. Let's go to the next slide. We need to judge doctrine. Slide 16 from Luther again. Quote, now the word of Christ in John 10.27 applies my sheep hear my voice. They do not know the voice of strangers. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets. Matthew sixteen six. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In Matthew twenty eight, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. Luther. By these and many similar passages of the gospel, even all of scripture, we are admonished not to believe false teachers. Ask yourself this. Who is it who is responsible not to believe false teachers? Who is it? Me, you, 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 you. Absolutely. That's who it is. The gospel is very particular, but it's universal in the call. Thank you, Eric, last Sunday for laying out the gospel, probably as good as I think I've ever heard it. I was smitten with the greatness of the gospel. So thank you. And we can come to Christ. He bids us come. Spirit and the bride say, come. Religious leaders are saying, no, you listen to me. I'll tell you what's right. I'll speak for God. Luther said, oh, the bishops and councils and creeds and the ancient and the big majority over the years, they have to be judged by every single individual Christian. Am I going to listen to it or not? John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. What does that mean? Does it mean mysticism? No, it means you respond to the gospel. A stranger, they will simply will not follow. Nancy. Oh, just because you've been quoting that verse, I was going to say last week I was at a singles function, and they used that verse to, to prove that you can hear personal words from God, and then they shared their experiences, but there was one fellow that was watching, watching my response, and he said, well, what do you think of that? And I said, would you like to receive some links? <laughs> and, and he did. He, he said, because I don't buy it. So I sent him your links from CIC. They come in very helpful. But there they were preaching using that verse. Here's the problem. Thank you, Nancy. I've been doing an email with a 
a lady who's now come over to the objective gospel, but somebody had given her the book Jesus Calling, and it's all this mystical stuff that's not from Jesus. Here's the deal. Why did Wycliffe translate the Bible into English? So people could listen and know what God said. Why did Luther translate the Bible into German? So the people could know what God said. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, just imagine. See, the Quakers talk about the inner voice, the inner light. Fox, this inner light uh, idea. So somebody says, I hear this voice, and it's saying this. Somebody else says, no, I hear this voice, it's saying that. And you have 20 people with 20 different inner voices going 20 different directions. No, there's one gospel, one Christ, one truth. I told this lady, God bless her, she's hungry for the truth. I told her, God is not so unjust as to take us and throw us into the world of the spirits. There are evil spirits, did you know that? They've been in their realm for thousands of years. They're very good in their realm. They know their way around. During those thousands of years in the spirit realm, the fallen spirits and fallen angels have been practicing deceiving people. Now, what if these people were right? Enter the world of the spirits through an altered state of consciousness. Okay, here's all these voices, all these spirits. One of them is Jesus. But you're not sure. And you know from 2 Corinthians 11, 4, there's such a thing as another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And Paul feared lest the Corinthians would receive one of these, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. So here you are, launched into the world of the spirits. Spirits here and spirits there. According to the prophets, they mutter and peep. It's not clear, mutter and peep. The psychics, oh, I think I get something here. Eric, back to Deuteronomy 18. Find in there the warning about the spiritists. In the same context, this will help us. And I said to this lady, God's not going to throw you into that world and let you figure out how to navigate. Because it's not if you'll be deceived, it's when you'll be deceived. Instead, he gives us the testimony of flesh and blood apostles appointed by Jesus Christ who saw the resurrected Christ, who were personally trained by him, who were appointed by him, who give us the true gospel. Okay, Eric. Yeah, the, Deuteronomy 18, I'll begin in uh, verse 9. The Lord says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. They shall not be found among you. Anyone who burns his son or his daughter is an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination 
to the Lord. You know, I was thinking, Bob, um, you and I have talked a lot about that passage in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where Moses says, look, the things that the Lord has revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. Amen. But the things that he has not revealed belong to the Lord alone. And what's interesting is when you were taught through the book of Galatians, when we were in Galatians 5, this isn't just an Old Testament concept, but one of the sins of the flesh sorcery. Is, is sorcery. Sorcery. And so there we see the same prohibition in the New Covenant that's also here in the Old Covenant as well. Yeah. Now, in that context, Deuteronomy 18, yeah. you either heard from real flesh and blood spokespersons, the prophets, that were sent by God, Moses and the prophets, or where did you go? The necromancer, the medium, the spiritist. Why, why not the, the consulting the dead? The dead are in the realm of the spirits. People go and they've talked to their dead relatives. Do these dead relatives that happen at the seance say, repent and believe Christ? No. They say, oh, it's a better place. Right? They have all these good, wonderful things. They're not true. God loves you. God cares about you. God will protect you. He's given us one high priest, Jesus Christ, who bodily ascended into heaven before witnesses, who appointed apostles who speak for God and gave us the scriptures so we know what is the gospel, what is the work of the spirit, and what is Christ, who is Christ? We're, when we preach Christ, a gospel of grace fellowship, do we not always tell you who he is? Why? Because there's another Jesus. When I was at this emergent conference, because I'd written a book on that, I was uh, at a workshop with my friend Chris Roseborough listening to one of the emergent leaders. And he was talking about how all roads lead to God and that it's just follow it. It all ends up in the same place and so on and so forth. And that God was pleased that there were all these different doctrines and stuff out there. So I was just sort of having a hard time sitting in my seat. And it came time for discussion. And I quoted 2 Corinthians eleven four, And I said to the workshop teacher who had written a book on this, if there's another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit, don't you think God wants us to know the difference? And how are we going to if all roads lead to heaven? There must be a danger of, the, of the, another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, or Paul wouldn't have warned us about it. And they had no answer. There were all these young emergent people with their notebook computers and you should have seen it should have been there bam 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 notebooks going closed people got up and walked out they wouldn't even countenance the question well in a sense all roads do lead to god they lead to god either for judgment or for mercy so that's what i was saying yeah they but see they don't believe in judgment 
It says in Matthew 16, 6, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew 16, 12. Then they understood that he did not say, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, let's just suppose the emergents are wrong. There really is a final judgment. Put yourself in that mindset just to contemplate the alternatives. There is a final judgment. For Christians, we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive reward for the deeds done in the body. There's also the great right throne judgment. And let's say this really happens, and lo and behold, our name is not in the book of life. What are we going to say? Well, I followed Jesus. Which Jesus? Well, the one that made me feel the best. See, if there is another Jesus, do you think you're going to be okay following this other Jesus? If there's another spirit besides the Holy Spirit, will you be okay if you follow the other spirit? Now, who's going to judge? So here we are in front of the judgment seat. Well, I heard a TV preacher, and he knows what he's talking about. It's not going to work. We, dear ones, must know who Jesus is, what he did for us, how we can have assurance, how we can trust him, how we can love him, how we can serve him. Otherwise, we'll listen to the wrong voices. Slide 17. Now we'll go into 1 Corinthians 14. Judging prophecy. But Paul has bound this strong man, says Luther, in his own place and taken away his armor. When he said, if a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent. And again, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So Let me stop right there. So the Quakers are wrong. Well, the inner light took over, and I had to say it. No, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Prophecy is to speak for God. And we can speak for God as long as it's in accordance with the truth of the gospel. And you can decide to be silent as well. Also, you can all prophesy one by one. Now he talks about decently in order. So we have here in Sunday school the opportunity for us to do that so that we can encourage one another in the gospel. Or if we were to say something that's not in accordance with Christ in the gospel, it can be corrected. Does that make sense? It's amazing to me that Luther knew this so clearly way back when. God bless him. Now, let's just go on here. Luther was not politically correct. Quote, what sense is there to this drunken prattle of the Pope and his papists, though handed down over many generations? Quote, this is what they say. We command, we earnestly direct the Church of Rome as mistress of the churches in the articles of faith. Unquote. That's it. You can't judge anything. You can't all prophesy one by one. You cannot judge. 
you must blindly submit. Well, how do we know this is right? Because it's handed down over many generations. If you want to look up an article I wrote about this, I mentioned it before. It's about Sola Scriptura, cacministry.org. The cover of Christianity Today showed Roman Catholic icons and people seeking them. And then there was an article about going back to spiritual formation and the practices of medieval Rome of their mystics. And a teacher from Bethel Seminary, Chris Armstrong, was saying this is a good thing and they're safe because they're guided by nuns and priests. Now, this is for evangelicals. Wow. Yes, uh, get the mic to Luann. And so I wrote an article saying no, 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 no. Well, just kind of talking to you know, people that might be listening, but, you know, how um, many times does the Bible have to say something before it does become authority? You know, I mean, in my opinion, once. But um, in First Timothy 4, 1, it says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences, consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created. So even in under this context that we're speaking with Roman Catholicism and abstinence and the food, different things. But, you know, right here it says that that's hypocrisy. It's, um, it's a doctrine of demons. Exactly. So how many times does that stuff need to be said before it sinks in and we hear it? Luann, thank you. That's very good. It's a good reading. You already had your coffee, but you can have more. <laughs> Now, here, it's an astute reading. Uh, If you want to think about it, that article that I critiqued, Christianity Today, one brother called it Christianity Astray. (laughs) We were safe going into the world of the spirits. They call it, you know, seeking the silence or whatever, because we're being guided by these ancient doctrines ancient practices people like Henry Nguyen and whatever he's deceased and so they're saying go to the source find these practicing nuns and priests and you'll learn how to go there and go into the world of the spirits see I call it the world of the spirits it's a very good description of what it is and as you quoted there are deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. And they teach forbidding marriage. Why? Well, that's the doctrine of demons. And look at all the horrible consequences of that. God ordained marriage. And if we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we better now, at this point, know who Christ is what he did, and why we need him. So we're not serving another Jesus. This was the Reformation. Yes, Brian. Uh, we're, we're looking at the, the Catholic Church a lot here, but uh, a, a big problem is the, the Jews 
uh, also because they have the the Talmud, they have the rabbis' writings, they have the food restrictions, the traditions of man. Yeah. Well, not only that, you have Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic mysticism. See, there's Jewish mysticism, Christian mysticism, quote unquote, Muslim mysticism. Buddha, Buddhists and the Hindus have had a, been doing this for 3,000 years. People don't care. It's what they want. Why? Because they lust for contact with the spirits. Let me explain to you what I've explained to many people over the Internet. Yes, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But I totally agree with Luther. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. Because it's objective. Now... People want contact with the spirits. Here's what you need to know. God is kind and loving and merciful. In order to protect us from deception, he's put the spirits in their own realm. They may be all around us, but they're in their realm. It's God's mercy we don't see. It's God's mercy we don't hear. God's mercy we don't contact. We have Christ, the high priest, at the right hand of God, and we have the word of God through the Bible. God is kind, he's merciful, he loves us, he's protecting us, lest we end up with another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. And I try to explain that hundreds of times through emails to people that read my articles. And they just think they got to have it, they got to have the spirits. Or they got to have a deliverance counselor. Let me quote some more Luther. We got five minutes here. We believe, and, the, and they believe, at least we see them professing and boasting, says Luther, that they are leaders and shepherds of the Christian people. But I believe they will also be forced to confess that a Christian is one who has the Holy Spirit and who, as Christ says, is taught all things by the Spirit, John 14, 26. We've looked at that before. And John writes, His anointing teaches you about everything, 1 John 2, 27. That is, to put it briefly, a Christian is so certain about what he ought and ought not to believe that he will even die, or at least be prepared to die for it. Now, there's a play on words in 1 John 2, 27 that you need to know. Christ, the word Christ, is the English form of the Greek word Christos. Christos means anointed one. Ha Christos is the anointed one. Antichrists, plural, are false anointed ones. The false teachers were saying, we're anointed. We're the anointed ones. And our anointing gives us secret information that you don't have. But we do. You need us, say the Antichrist, to convey to you this secret information, because we're anointed, that you don't have. And so we'll teach you. Listen to us for the secrets takes many forms. I just wrote an article about a guy who's claiming to reveal mysteries 
never before put in writing. Looking for signs, blood moons, this and that out there. No, you don't learn doctrine from nature. You learn it from the Bible. There are no new mysteries that are valid. Okay? Now, what John is saying is that only Christ is the special anointed one. You see that in Hebrews, I believe chapter 1. All Christians have an anointing from the Holy One. So you have Christ, the Messiah, Ha Christos, and the anointing which is given to every Christian. So John is saying, don't listen to these people. They're not more anointed. We have an anointing. We have the gospel. The secret things belong to God. What's revealed belongs to us. I've only got a couple of minutes, two slides. Let me quote some more Luther. Now I ask you, says Luther, what effrontery it is of the papists to vaunt themselves and say, the lady ought to believe us and not themselves. Stop right there. There it is. The lady ought to believe us, not themselves. No, don't believe what you think. Believe us. We're the anointed ones. It won't do you one lick of good on the day of judgment to believe what the Pope says. Because he's not preaching the gospel. Global warming is not the gospel. (laughs) Quoting Luther again. What is this but to assert? We admit that Christians have the Holy Spirit, but which they know with certainty what is to be believed, what is not to be believed. Yet because the Holy Spirit is inferior to ourselves, this is the papist, and we are much more learned than the Spirit, Therefore, they ought to subject themselves to us and heed us. One of the things they were saying, we are ancient, we are many. Do you know what people are doing today? Even Protestants, blindly following creeds rather than sola scriptura. The Protestants are saying, we are ancient, we are many. Don't think, turn off your brain, just listen to us. Do you think it's any better if it's done by somebody who's not the Pope? It's the same error. One more slide. Look at this. Here we go. We're going to finish. Can you believe it? Slide 20 of 20. Here we take our stand. Remember where else Luther said that? Here I stand. Listen to this. There's no other word of God than that which is given to all Christians to proclaim. There is no other baptism than the one which any Christian can bestow. There is no other remembrance of the Lord's Supper than that which any Christian can observe and which Christ has instituted. There is no other kind of sin than which any Christian can bind or lose. There's no other sacrifice than the body of every Christian. No one but a Christian can pray. No one but a Christian can judge doctrines. These make the priestly and royal office. Hallelujah. 
my dear brothers and sisters, beloved of the Lord, this is what God has given you. Practice it, and you'll be well. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that we have these truths from your word. May we live accordingly by your grace. Thank you that your Holy Spirit comes to us through your word. And we do have an anointing, and we know the truth of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.